Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. The big homie, Waz Anit Lambright, TYT contributor, all star. Top story of the day, well, former President Donald Trump said he's going to give a speech, I mean testimony, at his own trial. There are some twists and turns and also, you know who else said, hey, I'm going to make the trial my day to give a speech? Hitler, and he did. I'm going to tell you what happened. Put up the picture full mass. Trump wants to give closing arguments at his fraud trial, closing arguments. Former President Donald Trump is on trial in New York in a $250 million civil lawsuit that could alter the personal fortune and personal real estate empire that helped propel him to the White House. Trump, his sons, Eric, and Donald Jr., and other top Trump organization executives, are accused by who? New York Attorney General Letitia James. I actually interviewed A.G. James a couple of years ago. That interview was at WOK.com. She said at that time she was going to prosecute Trump if the evidence was there. Just a side note, the Attorney General of the state of New York says that Trump engaged in a decade long scheme in which they used him and his cronies, quote, numerous acts of fraud and misrepresentation to inflate Trump's net worth in order to get more favorable loan terms. The trial comes after the judge and the case ruled in a partial summary judgment that Trump had submitted quote, fraudulent valuations for his assets leaving the trial to determine additional actions and what penalty, if any, the defendants should receive. The former president has denied all wrongdoing. And his attorneys have argued that Trump's alleged inflated valuations were a product of his business skill. Former President Trump intends to personally deliver part of the defense's closing argument at the conclusion of his civil fraud trial in New York on Thursday. Sources familiar with the former president's strategy told that to ABC News. The defendants in the case, Trump, his two eldest sons and two former Trump organization execs are represented by three primary attorneys. You have Christopher Kies, Clifford Robert and Alina Haba. But sources say Trump himself is determined to deliver a portion of the closing statement. The sources cautioned that plans for the defense's uh, closing argument still remain fluid. Now, Trump is literally freestyling. He's freestyling so much, he's coming up with options that people did not believe was an actual option. He said he will deliver his own closing argument. He has lawyers, he has what's called feeding representation before the court. But he wants to give a speech, he wants the speech to go viral, okay? It is a stage for him. This is not about him proving he's innocent, 
They've already judged that what he did based on the prime directive of the case was illegal. This is your penalty marker. There's more, the Manhattan courtroom where the trial has been held during the first 11 weeks is currently in use for another high profile trial involving the New York AG's case against the NRA, National Rifle Association. She's a busy woman. And the judge in that case told members of the jury the trial would temporarily move to another courtroom to accommodate Trump. Let me take you to 1924, put it up. You see that fellow? That energy, that spirit, that vibration is back on this planet. That's Adolf Hitler. In 1924, Adolf Hitler went to trial. Why did he go to trial in 1924? Because he attempted to overthrow the government. It was a failed attempt, a minority of individuals. They did not have the strength, they did not have the requisite power. So he went to trial. He utilized his trial to give his speech. In 1924, Adolf Hitler, who has been judged by the world to be one of the most evil individuals in the history of the planet, he made the Nazi party a household name. According to a book, the future architect of the Holocaust was tried long before his genocidal crimes. They had the opportunity to lock his ass up. Forever. Ironically, he was found guilty and they let him go. And his guilt, his guilty verdict propelled him into significant popularity like the world had not seen. Meanwhile, Judge Arthur Ingram rescinded permission for Trump to give his own closing argument at his civil fraud trial. After not hearing from Trump's lawyers by the noon Wednesday deadline. I got something to say about this. The judge wrote that he assumed Trump was not agreeing to the ground rules and therefore would not be speaking. Look at the, look at the judge's face. Oh Darn, I'm sorry I had to do that to you, gosh. Oh man, okay, hell of a thing. So naturally, um, I believe that the attorneys intentionally missed the deadline because the attorneys had to file a particular, not really a motion, but an agreement to follow a particular set of guidelines um, for the closing argument. Uh, this is normative when an individual who has not been legally trained is asking to do something like this. You just have to sign um, somewhat of an agreement. Let's call it decorum. Well, the attorneys did not submit it based on the deadline presented by the judge. Judge says, I just assume Trump changed his mind. Well, it is the judge's discretion at this point. Now, the question is, will there be an appeal? For this issue, is it possible to file a motion? Yes, you can file it right now if you want to. It doesn't mean it changes the judge's mind. But what if something else happens? What if another outside of the box scenario takes place? Trump doesn't sign the agreement. Closing arguments start 
and Trump decides to stand up and talk himself, what happens? Does the judge rule the proceeding to be out of order? Doesn't really even matter because at that point, what camera is going to stop rolling? What recorder is going to stop recording? He still will get his audience, maybe even in a more dramatic style. My point to you is all of this is about one thing, making himself seen above the law. Just hours ago, just hours ago, a Trump attorney argued that Donald Trump, while President of the United States, could have ordered an assassination on his own political enemy inside of American borders, and he would have immunity. It is a fascinating and ridiculous argument. Trump does not want to be elected president. He wants to be your dictator and king. You can stop him. It's called democracy. Brother, do you see it any differently? Not really. It seems like he's constantly flying by the seat of his pants. There's no rhyme or reason or no strategy generally, especially to these court proceedings. I think politically, he usually has an idea of who or why he's attacking something. But in the court of law, he's so used to just skating and not having to be held to any legal standards in his life that it seems like he's constantly being caught wrong footed and this idea that he's going to get up there and give a closing argument and he's just you know he's become um convinced of his own you know ability to be a a, a great quote unquote um orator and so i'm not surprised that he thinks that he should be able to give the closing argument what i would say is that you know, every now and again, um, Donald Trump does or says something that feels a little bit relatable. And it's this, uh, he's clearly a fan of courtroom dramas, Dr. Richie. Uh, we've all seen a few good men. You know, you can't handle the truth moment. I think about a time to kill when Matthew McConaughey said, and then imagine she was white. You know, we've all watched these yeah. courtroom dramas. I've watched countless hours of law and order, right? I think Donald Trump thinks he's gonna have his big courtroom moment. But unfortunately for him, I think if he gets up there, he's gonna make a fool of himself and he's gonna hurt his case. Um, and I think that's why his lawyers are trying to prevent this. Yeah, and I hope if he is out of order, if he decides to violate courtroom procedure, he's held in contempt and immediately arrested in front of everyone, taken to jail just like anyone else would if they disrespect court orders. All right, we'll keep you updated. Hell of a story, our dear friend, our brother, Reverend Barber, one of the most moral individuals I've ever met in my life. Reverend William J. Barber was in fact at a movie theater, as you know. He was discriminated against because of his disability. He now has hired Harry Daniels, civil rights attorney. Once again, another dear friend of mine. Harry's been on the program, helped us with a lot of cases right here at Indisputable to get justice for people around the world. Here's a reminder, what happened? I'm gonna take you out. I cannot go out. Okay, I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna tell you, you are removed the property and I'm gonna take you out and I'll if, charge if you, you in my car, that's fine. If you if you wanna take me out and leave the property, then I'll do that. Yep, that's what I wanna do. All right, well, I'm, you're gonna have to put me 
I've been in the White House with this chair. They've called an officer of the law, the AME Theater in Greenville, North Carolina. They would not make amends. They simply do the right thing. But we'll deal with it. They brought this officer. What's your name, Mr. Officer? Can I shake your hand? I ain't trying to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is Officer Lemon. I want to know your name. Yeah, that's fine. No problem. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your cooperation. Sorry for the, the way this turned out. We'll be back in a little bit. Okay. That's, that's fine. But you do have to leave the. What about dear brother, full mass? When I tell you he is a walking beacon of integrity, morality, ethics, he has such goodness inside of him that the cats who play games but present well, the individuals who manipulate the system in order to make themselves seem like supermen, they can't be in the same room with him because he has too much integrity off record. And on record, when I saw this, I cried because I know our brother had to be fuming inside, but he held his composure. Per CBS 9 News, our dear Bishop William J. Barber II held a second press conference on Monday in Greenville, North Carolina, to talk about his meeting with the head of AMC Theaters and to announce. What his next move will be, okay? He was removed from a North Carolina movie theater last month. Barbara was joined by advocates with the American Association of People with Disabilities. I want you to keep that picture up because I've seen some of the social media chatter about the law. You all who believe that he could not do that, that's incorrect. The federal law states that establishments such as this, they have to make all reasonable accommodations for an individual, regardless of what they may have available or not. He knew that law, that's why he brings his chair. As we covered prior, the well-known civil rights activist was escorted out by police from the AMC Fire Tower 12 Theater in Greenville during a screening of The Color Purple. Barber, who suffers from a form of arthritis, was kicked out for bringing his own stool. Now remember, he's been allowed in, he purchased a ticket, he went past front desk, he went past everyone, he was allowed in, okay? He was kicked out for bringing his own stool. AMC previously apologized on record to the pastor for how they handled the incident. Earlier this month, the former North Carolina NAACP president met with Adam Aaron, president of AMC Theaters. 
saying afterward that, quote, while I am encouraged by a meeting, we have more to consider. This isn't about me or one night in December. It's about the law. It's about treating every man, woman, and child who has disabilities with compassion and dignity. Elaborated more on the meeting, he wrote, quote, when we got into the conversation, I almost immediately recognized he had been given some wrong information about what had happened. Barbara said, the first thing I perceived is that there were some people who were trying to make my protest and resistance the problem. He seemed to suggest that they had done everything reasonable and nothing else could have been done. That's not what the law says. You're supposed to use reasonable judgment on an individual case by case basis. That is what the federal law says. That is not a recommendation. Barbara said there were some other questions also brought up in the meeting. Quote, even though we were supposed to be meeting just us, he mentioned he had talked to his counsel, Barbara said. When I could see these distortions had somehow got into the framework, I said, well, I need to turn over everything to my counsel. Counsel, got him. Civil rights attorney Harry Daniels to the rescue. Barbara also announced Monday he is working with this federal civil rights attorney and others who will oversee the investigation into this incident. Daniel said they're hoping to change how employees deal with future situations. Quote, we're looking for an amicable resolution in which both parties can come to an agreement. Daniel said, training is a big one. We're not in the position of terminating or firing. That doesn't serve the overall desired purpose. But if we can maybe get them trained so they can train others with the experiences they have. Barbara said he's fighting for these changes so people with disabilities now and in the future don't have to. It's bigger than me, he said. AMC has 10,000 screens and serves over a billion people. If you live long enough, you're going to need these same laws, end quote. This is a race case, a human race issue. At some point, if you are blessed to live long enough, you may find yourself in a similar situation, Daniel said. Make no mistake, this was an injustice, not just to Bishop Barber, but to all of us. Every family knows someone who needs additional accommodations. Quote, we all have to play our part so that those who are differently disabled are treated fairly and accommodated. Moving forward, Daniels will be meeting with AMC representatives, uh, representatives on Barbara's behalf while they find a resolution. They said a lawsuit is not being brought up at this time. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. Until there's a resolution here, um, I will be boycotting all AMC theaters and connected assets. I'm encouraging you to do the same. Everybody, the message of this is multifaceted. Number one, no one bothered to Google the law. You understand? It's right there in the subsection of the law. No one bothered to say, you know what? Uh, the brother may actually be right, so let me Google it quick, quickly. They called 911. It took more energy to call 911, file an official police report, get somebody in there to break the law. 
cop comes. He doesn't bother to Google the law. He didn't even call the supervisor. Hey, Mr. Supervisor, I got a question for you. Is this a civil issue or a criminal issue? Is this trespassing or is the movie theater, the corporate interest wrong? Didn't matter. Corporation told you to fetch and you fetched. Yeah, got the right one this time. All right, we're gonna follow this, obviously give you updates as they come. Uh, such a sad situation. Wisney, I was uh, horrified this happened. He's a good brother, uh, but what say you? And yeah, I mean, in case the folks watching at home um, are not familiar with Reverend Barber's work, uh, this guy has essentially dedicated his life to the service of others, particularly the poorest and most marginalized people in our country. Uh, yep. This is like very important work that this guy this guy has dedicated himself to. Like we're talking about organizing voting drives, all kinds of like all kinds of stuff down there in South Carolina. Um, and beyond. This guy is a huge, important figure in the movement um, to, you know, further our country in the direction of its potential, right? Um, and so you take all of that away. Um, most people are just showing up to a movie theater, just expecting the base level of human dignity to yeah. be shown to them. Um, and it's not too much for somebody with disabilities to just have a reasonable accommodation made. This is not something special. He just has his own chair. That's it. In a place full of them. In a place full of right. chairs. Um, he brought his own chair so that he could sit and enjoy the movie like the rest of them. And, and I always say this when this kind of thing happens to very prominent people. Um, we don't need to make Reverend Barber a saint, right? Um, he's a great guy, period. And that should be enough. But it goes beyond that. Um, luckily for him. You know, he's prominent enough. He could make a stink about this and he could get something done um, on behalf of people that come behind him. Um, you know, there are normal people who this might have happened to and they ruin their damn day, month, you know, behind something like this, behind being embarrassed and forcibly being removed from the freaking color purple. And yep. so that's what I think about, man, the people who don't have the reach and the stretch that Reverend Barber has to correct a wrong like this. These kinds of things happen every single day and it goes unsaid. But, you know, we salute our dear brother for stepping up to the plate and doing what needs to be done to right a wrong. Yep. Uh, the irony of the movie playing the color purple, which highlights, which highlights the reality of bias, racism and systemic oppression. Um, and in the middle of that movie, they engage in the same activity that the movie is about. We're going to update this story very soon. All right. Attorney, District Attorney Fannie Willis, the woman prosecuting Trump in Fulton County, Georgia. Well, according to a new motion, a new filing, she may be subjected to the RICO Act herself. Wow. Put it up full mass. We talked about this earlier in the week. We now have more nuance to the motion. Per Atlanta Black Star, by the way, they did a great job reporting. The motion filed claiming Fulton County DA Fannie Willis appointed a romantic partner to prosecute Donald Trump in the Georgia Rico case, that she may also face Rico charges herself. As we covered yesterday, the salacious court petition claims Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade have, quote, been engaged in an improper clandestine personal relationship during the pendency of this case, which has resulted in the Special Prosecutor and in turn, 
the district attorney profiting significantly from this prosecution at the expense of taxpayers. Uh, the legal challenge throwing a major curveball in the case against Trump, who faces several criminal counts under Georgia's RICO law for his efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. The motion was filed on behalf of Michael Roman. Michael Roman, a former Trump campaign official and a co defendant in the extreme RICO case. The motion calls for the charges to be summarily dismissed while also arguing that Willis enriched herself through the ongoing cahoots with Wade. Roman's attorney, Ashley Merchant, claims to have learned about Wade and Willis's secret involvement by reviewing Nathan Wade's divorce file, which was not fully sealed as no court hearing had taken place to officially block the papers from public view. I'm going to say this, that part is probably a lie, okay? Someone alerted this attorney, the attorney is not that sharp. That's why I'm saying this. <laughs> Someone alerted the attorney that this was a thing. Somebody inside of that judicial circuit alerted that attorney. That attorney decides to file a motion. The attorneys filed a motion on the last day that you could file a pretrial motion. Likely they were trying to get some evidence to put inside of the motion. But they were unable to do so, they could simply file the motion at that time to preserve it. There's more, the astonishing filing also calls for Willis and her staff to be disqualified from the continuing uh, from continuing to pursue the quote unconstitutional case against Roman. And by the way, the court has ruled it is constitutional, so understand this. Um, Trump and more than a dozen other co-defendants charged in the case. While the filing lacks tangible evidence, talking about the motion, uh, it lacks tangible evidence of an improper romance. The motion does cite sources close to both the special prosecutor and the DA, district attorney, who confirmed an ongoing personal relationship. Now, uh, a previous relationship and an ongoing relationship are very different contextualizations. That part is going to be important in the response from DA Finder Willis. And we don't know if this is even true at all. Let's not forget we're dealing with a band of liars on the Trump team. Despite the lack of relevant experience, according to the attorney, Wade, a private attorney, was hired as an independent special prosecutor by Willis to handle the historic case against Trump, opting to outsource the prosecution to minimize any perceived impropriety as Trump was the first president in history to face serious criminal charges. Can I say this? We'll keep it all the way 100. I don't give a damn if she was or had a relationship with a guy. I don't care. I can understand. Just think about it. I can understand hiring somebody you trust. I understand it. You're prosecuting a former president of the United States of America. Why would you hire somebody you don't trust? So the prosecution is going to make this about. How many RICO cases has he tried? The Georgia RICO statute is rarely tried, all right? Fonnie Willis is the one who actually filed it a few years ago against school teachers. Look up the record. And she had to bring in special prosecutors, but she has the significant 
prerequisite knowledge to do so. Naturally, I disagreed and opposed the DA at that time. So the motion asserts that Willis and Wade entered the relationship prior to Wade's appointment as special prosecutor. The filing claims the pair traveled together on numerous occasions, basking in Napa Valley, Florida, and the Caribbean, while Wade winded down Willis, Willis on the major cruise lines, although Roman did not provide proof to back up any of the accusations at all. It should be considered, honestly, a motion like this should be considered frivolous, has no merit. There's no presentation of evidence for the judge to consider. And it is not filed on any constitutional or statutory basis. What the attorney is basically claiming is that these two individuals, perhaps maybe based on rumor and what the internet is saying, they violated an office policy. And because they violated this office policy, my client should be set free. There's more. The motion accused the pair of engaging in self-serving arrangement um, that benefited them. Willis has benefited, according to the report, the motion, substantially and directly and continues to benefit from this litigation because Wade is being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to prosecute this case on her behalf. Uh, the filing claims in turn, Wade is taking Willis on and paying for vacations across the world with money he's being paid by the Fulton County taxpayers and authorized solely by Willis. And by the way, Mr. Wade, um, dare I say, he's independently wealthy. All right, he's a successful private attorney. Uh, and he's getting paid some government money now to do this case. And it's not the first time that he's worked um, with the government for particular cases. So he does have a history there. Now, I will say this, the way the motion is filed, it is not filed in legalese. There's very little technical language here. And then there's blurring of the lines. For example, Mr. Wade is doing this on behalf of her. No, they're both prosecuting on behalf of the people. That, that's actually the law. The law says that the prosecutor represents the people. So they're not creating the formal language typically that you would see in a motion like this. Romans claim immediately raised questions about the indictment's validity against Trump, while also highlighted concerns over Willis's professional ethics. Conservative commentators and social media lit up after the motion became public with a number of prominent voices on X sharing portions of the document that accused Wade of committing fraud by billing the county $6,000 for 25 hours of work, January 5th, 2021, okay? All right, um, there you have it. Now, what have we learned? None of this has a damn thing to do with the fact that Trump and his cronies attempted to overthrow democracy, what they are actually accused and indicted by two different juries, a grand jury special use and a normative grand jury that gave what's called a true bill. None of that is part of the conversation. This is a pivot, a distraction. And regardless of any personal entanglement, there is no case presented in this motion that suggests that somehow, because of this, it's called proximate cause, that because of this, there's a violation of your client's constitutional or legal rights. Worst case scenario, the attorney general of the state of Georgia has to appoint a special prosecutor in the handling of this case. It doesn't mean the case goes away. It simply means somebody else may have to prosecute, worst case scenario. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. All right, wisely thoughts.
I mean, you you obviously hit it on the head. Um, these folks are prosecuting Donald Trump on behalf of the people of the state of Georgia. Um, it's not on Trump and his team to say this person doesn't deserve to be prosecuting me or this is corrupt. Now, if the people, if the office decides that uh, they feel like this was a bit of a conflict of interest um, and maybe her judgment was impaired in that perhaps because of her personal attachments and entanglements, she picked somebody and there might be somebody better or more qualified to prosecute Donald Trump. That's a different story um, all to itself. But however, the grand jury said there's enough evidence, valid evidence that these folks should be prosecuted. Who does the prosecuting on behalf of Georgia is a completely other, you know, set of right. ideas. But the facts remain that there is very strong evidence to indicate that Donald Trump and his cronies broke the law in the state of Georgia. And so he's still going to have to go to court. Yes, that part. So the motion in a big way was worded so people on the conservative side could do exactly what they're doing. All right. Okay. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're I feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Deserves. This bitch deserves my fist in her face. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Bad you can leave. You can leave. You can leave. I am leaving. Then turn around I and get out. Send this on social media. Do what I will. You do. You're, you're, you're being recorded too. Okay. Okay. You can leave. Yep. You so can leave. Talk about it. Let's talk about it. You can leave. You know what? This will show up more. Okay. Yeah. Let the owner of this. I will. Let the owners of this establishment make up their own mind. Okay. Yeah. Guarantee you won't have a duck one. Okay. You're comfortable with not having a duck one? I will have a duck one. You're comfortable with not having a duck one? I will have a duck one. You're comfortable with not having financial stability? You stupid bitch. Cool. You stupid bitch. Cool. You can leave. Thank you. Thank you. Ah! I will be reporting individuals. You can leave. You can leave. He then decides to come back, and here's what happened. What are we recording? What are we recording? What are we recording? I'm recording you calling me a bitch and a you're, so you can leave. You're, I'm a kid. You can leave. You're, you're a grown adult. What are you doing here? What are working, you doing here? Working. Working. Unlike you right now, yeah, you can did leave. Did you get your goddamn by your parents? You need to be 18 to be. I what? am 18. Oh, so you're not a kid. So you're not a kid, huh? So you, yeah. You're then a you're Get out. You know how stupid you are right now? This is going on my Facebook. Yeah, put up his picture for a mask. Uh, no, sir, I, I know how smart she is. We are all aware of how stupid you are. Everybody, millions of people, sir, are now aware that you're an idiot. Um, he said that she deserved his fist in her face. What could a teenager ever do to an adult male 
behind the counter of a taco establishment, Del Taco to be precise, that would warrant him to threaten physical harm. Um, obviously, that's unimaginable. And then he walks out to only walk back in. He walks out to only walk back in. To the, uh, to the young lady, I'm sorry this happened to you. Um, when I was young myself, I worked um, in the restaurant industry, fast food, weighted tables. I know that it's the hardest job in the world. It's constant. Generally, people don't appreciate you as much as they should. But we want you to know it indisputable. We appreciate the way you handled it. We appreciate you standing up for yourself. And we are thankful that nothing worse happened. All right? All right. Wise, hell of a thing. It's just insane. Um, she mentioned, first of all, it's a young woman. Yeah. This guy, as you can see from the video, is a pretty big guy, tall. Um, and the fact that he's menacing a younger woman is all you need to know about his character um, and what he stands for. You know, threatening to put hands on a stranger in a fast food establishment. And again, you know, we come up here all the time. I feel like the service workers of our country, man, these people are on the front lines of some of the biggest BS that, you know, America has to offer. Every day they do it and they have to grin and bear it with a smile. I applaud this young lady for her composure in that situation and how she handled herself. Um, she deserves a freaking raise. That's yes. for damn sure. Yes. All right. Well, one of the services we provide here at Indisputable, um, a mirror, a mirror for transparency, reflection, hopefully correction. One of the saddest stories um, that I've ever reported on was the death of Mr. Elijah McClain, young man who was um, a beautiful soul. He loved animals, loved music, loved life. And he was simply walking and got killed by cops and paramedics. One of the cops, well, he was found guilty, one of them. He had a 14-month sentence. Before we go into the, um, the update, I want you to be reminded about the death of the young Elijah McClain. Here it is. The family's attorney says McClain was walking home after buying iced tea from a corner store when this call about a suspicious person was made to the Aurora PD in Colorado. Three officers responded to the call. McClain is seen walking on the sidewalk when officers approach him. Stop, stop. One officer is heard stop. telling McLean to stop. stop. Things right escalate stop when McLean allegedly attempted to grab an officer's gun. The officers then subdue him to the ground and place him in a carotid control hold, a move that restricts blood flow to the brain. McLean begs for relief, even uttering those eerily too familiar words. First responders arrive shortly after and administer ketamine, an anesthetic meant to rapidly tranquilize. It's standard protocol for the paramedics uh, to inject ketamine McLean went into cardiac arrest on the way to the hospital, where he stayed five days before ultimately being taken off life support. A coroner determined his cause of death undetermined. Homicide. Death 
was caused by another human being. That's called homicide. In this case, multiple human beings. Put up the picture. He was walking. Former Colorado police officer, Randy Rodima, was sentenced by a judge last week to spend only 14 months in jail after he was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide and third degree assault. At this time, the cop is the only one who has served jail time and probation so far for his role in the death of the young Elijah McClain. He will report to jail. He's allowed to voluntarily report to jail March 22nd after killing another human being. You can just turn yourself in. Uh, Randy, when do you want to come to jail, Randy? You tell us. Okay, March. As ordered by the judge, Mark Warner, the former officer will serve out his time behind bars, not in prison. But in the county facility, I'm going to explain why that's a benefit to him in a moment. Warner could have sentenced the cop to up to three years for the felony homicide conviction. But his decision ultimately came down to what he perceived as the officer's, quote, good character and rehabilitative potential. Man, I'm telling you, I have never heard a judge say that. I have never, I've never heard a judge say, you know what? You, you should go to jail for murder, but because you're such a good person. And I believe you can be rehabilitated from the person you killed. I am going to give you a break. Have you ever heard of that before? It's insane to even consider it because it's so adversarial to the normative rules, typically allied in justice. But when there is a white male who has killed a black person and that white male was in uniform, rules all of a sudden become very different. He added that Warner really wasn't much of a threat to anybody. This is the person convicted, okay? Um, when McLean had been killed. So Warner gave uh, Rodima four years of probation. For the felony, 14-month sentence for the misdemeanor assault conviction. The judge said during the sentence, quote, the court was shocked by what appeared to be really indifference to Elijah McClain's suffering after he was clearly in custody and in handcuffs. I think it's important for folks to be aware, criminally negligent homicide is not considered a violent crime. And despite what folks' opinions or my opinion might be about whether this was violent or not, that doesn't control the law. Now, is criminally negligent homicide considered a violent crime? No, that's the reason they created the statute. Because so many people were getting away with not being prosecuted for what's called gross negligence. And it was leading to the severe disability or death of other human beings. And so states started to create statutes that would allow the prosecution of crimes that technically did not have intentional aggression or violence. So for the judge to make the argument that this is not considered a violent crime, he's telling you half of the damn story to manipulate you.
The charge exists because of the outcome of gross negligence. It is criminal, it is a felony, and it is worthy of prison. There's more, McLean's mother, Sheena McLean. God bless her, she spoke out about the sentencing saying, quote, Randy Rodima stole my son's life. And the belated apologies in the world cannot remove my son's blood from Randy Rodima's hands. This is not justice, this is not accountability. This is just a slap on the wrist because what happened to my son is murder. Now you may be wondering, well, how does he get to avoid prison? Well, in most jurisdictions, if your sentence is between two to three years, the local jail facility can opt to keep you there. Typically, this is reserved when there's an issue with overcrowding of the actual prison system. And so many people stay inside of the county facility longer. But in this case, He's staying there because he can get a better, well, let's just say benefit. You see, in county, you don't serve day to day. Some rules allow you, for example, if you make trustee. Now, every one day counts as three days. You see how that works? So he gets to stay in county. And he will be out well before that 14-month sentence is done. And everybody knows it. Put him up full mass. Rodima was one of three Aurora cops involved in what police called a struggle with McLean. The medics, Jeremy Cooper and Peter Sischunik were also found guilty of criminally negligent homicide last month. Peter was also convicted of two assault charges. Jeremy. Cooper faces up to six years in prison, while his colleague faces 16. They're set to be sentenced on March. Keep that picture up. You see, you guys thought y'all were the police. Now, y'all just paramedics. Um, you're going to get those years. The police, they get to go home. All right, Wozniak, damn shame. But it shows you the, the de-evaluation of life when it's a black male who's at the other side of the trial of the death and a white male who has a uniform on is the one who did it. Yeah, and that's to me is the saddest part about it is that even because oftentimes these wrongs happen and there's no way to actually prove it. There's no cameras, oftentimes the person that was transgressed against ends up being dead. So obviously they can't be a witness at their own murder trial. And so, you know, oftentimes these things go unpunished, unheard of, unseen. We can't even imagine, we can't even fathom the amount of indiscretions that cops have perpetrated against black, brown, disaffected people, right? Like there's no way to even calculate the amount of times this has happened throughout our country's history because again, they go unreported and unsaid. But it's sad when you actually have the evidence that proves that these people acted maliciously and negligently. 
And then the system rallies around them to ensure that there is no punishment for their actions, which sends the perfectly clear message that as far as the system is concerned, these folks did their jobs and they did it well. Um, and the fact that, you know, this guy might have, you know, to the to the system took it, quote unquote, a little too far. Um, all in all, he was in the right, and we're not gonna come down on this fella because he was acting on behalf of us, the system, and the establishment. And that is really the saddest part about this is that these fools could get caught and nothing happens, right? The powers that be rally around him. I just pray at this moment that um, the victim's family could, could get some level of restitution, whether it be through the state suing these, suing the pants off of these folks, or maybe their own personal level of restitution and find peace in, in all of this tragedy. Yeah. All right, we will update if any update is left. We got more on the other side, indisputable stick and stay. Sad story, we covered this from day one. Many of you, many of you joined and helped. Let's put it up full mass. Miss Josephine Wright passed away before receiving her new home. Tyler Perry shared on Instagram that Miss Josephine Wright, a South Carolina 94 year old woman who captured the hearts of all of us here and many more across the world because she stood up to a housing developer in a legal battle about her land. She has now passed on to the other side. When developers attempted to induce her to sell the Hilton Head land she had been living on for decades and took her to court in a dispute about property boundaries, the filmmaker stepped in promising to support her fight. When Perry stepped up promising to build her a new house that she and her children could always have in the family, Right passed away this week before he could hand her the keys to a new home. The family announced her transition on the GoFundMe page. Once again, many of us donated to that GoFundMe when we first covered the story. Uh, Perry posted on Instagram saying, I'm so heartbroken to hear about the passing of this warrior. Miss Josephine Wright, even though we spoke by phone, I was so looking forward to meeting you in person next month to hand you the keys to your new house. But God had other plans. My prayer is that you rest in peace, knowing I will honor the commitment that I made to you. I know you will be watching over all of us. I hand those same keys to your family. And that's what, that's what Miss Josephine wanted. She wanted to keep it in the family. So your four children, your 40 grandchildren, your 50 great-grandchildren, and your, and your four great-great-grandchildren will still be able to gather at your house on your land and tell the world, what kind of fighter that you were. You have run your race and fought an incredible fight. Journey well, my dear lady, you have inspired me. Um, Wright's homegoing service will be held at the Mount Calvary Baptist Church um, on Hilton Head Island on Saturday, January 13th, um, 2024, 11 a.m. Eastern time. If you're there, um, you know the family will provide a link for those who cannot make it to the public. But if you're there, you can. Um, I want to say this, that she was so smart. She was so, her brain was so brilliant. When I tell you they picked the wrong one, she knew every bit of history. She knew where the boundaries were. 
She knew when they were lying. And because she kept that fight going, she preserved the opportunity for a moment like this. I'm very thankful for Tyler Perry and many others, even many of you in the audience who supported Ms. Josephine. All right, Wozni, thoughts here? Obviously, it's sad that she's passed on and moved on. But as you said, her legacy will live on forever, honestly, through her family and through her works. It's just another example of what happens when the little guy goes up against these these forces that exist among us that you know seek to crush us at every turn whenever we try to stand up for ourselves but you know for me the most heartening part about it is how a community could rally around this woman um and make things right for her and her family cuz that's what it takes um we can't do these things we can't accomplish great things on our own so it's cool to see that a community of people and you know prominent citizens stepped up and made things right. So that's that's what I'll take from this. What can be achieved when we come together collectively um, to try to get our goals done? There you go. Well said. Over two hundred bodies found in Mississippi behind a jail. Ben Crump, attorney at law, is calling for a federal investigation. I concur and echo that calling as well. Let's put up the picture for a mass civil rights attorney Ben Ben Crump has called for a federal investigation after 215 bodies, human bodies, were found buried behind the Hines County Penal Farm in Mississippi. Crump confirmed it's unclear if the deaths were caused by racism, prejudice, or bigotry. And I'm going to say this, when you look at the updated report, it tells you that you have black people, Hispanic people, white people. I'm going to go out on a limb here. The commonality you will likely see is that they were likely perceived to have a certain socioeconomic status. And because of that, societal constructs, the powers that be, the gatekeepers of the societal order, the elites, they did not care how they were treated. People all across America are scratching their heads in disbelief about what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. With the graveyard, Crump told a congregation at the Stronger Hope. Baptist Church in Jackson last month, quote, it went from talking about the water that was non-existent or contaminated to now we're talking about the graveyard. What is going on in Jackson, Mississippi? Let's put it up. Man, we covered this on Monday at Indisputable. The bodies found in the field were marked with only numbers. The graveyard was intended for people with no known family, but relatives of the deceased said, official uh, say official neglected to notify next of kin. Officials neglected to do so when some of the deceased were actually being identified. Uh, per the complex, following the news, Crump joined forces with Reverend Hosea Hines, senior pastor of the Christ Tabernacle Church and the national leader of a New Day Coalition for Equity in Black America to call for a probe into the case and the causes 
of the 215 deaths. Hines reiterated Trump's concerns, saying, quote, saddens my heart to know the relatives of the deceased had gone so long without knowing where their loved one's body were buried. And then coming to the realization that they were buried in a pauper's grave behind a jailhouse. Hines said, if they had been properly notified, they would have been able to pay their proper respect. Trump has also represented the families of Mario Moore, Dexter Wade, and Jonathan Hankins, who were all buried in the cemetery without the knowledge of their families. They were just thrown in the damn ground. Mario Moore's family discovered authorities buried him months ago in the same field after he was found slain on the street earlier in 2023. His body was buried in July. CNN reports Moore's family did not learn of his death until early October when they saw, when they saw his name in a published list of 24 homicide victims whose identities had not been publicly disclosed by the Jackson Police Department. We have spoken before about Dexter Wade, who was hit and killed by a police vehicle. And although Wade had identification, he had identification, his family was not notified of his death. They thought he was missing until they recently learned he was buried in that same cemetery. Jonathan Hankins was reported missing by his mother when he did not return home one weekend, May 2022. After more than a year, after more than a year, working with the county sheriff's office, Rankin County, it would be NBC News who solved the crime. NBC News solved the mystery. <clears throat> Hankins had been found dead in the hotel room. So sad. Waz, what are your thoughts? Uh, it doesn't get much worse than this, honestly. Um, when it comes to the authorities and the powers that be and the powers we entrust them with, um, the idea that these folks couldn't be bothered to lift a finger to make sure these victims' families were identified upon their death. And like these folks just, you know, just spinning in the wind, having absolutely no closure and getting no help as to the whereabouts and the conditions of their loved ones to know that you know, the state got a hold of these folks and did not do everything in their power to make sure that they could be identified by their loved ones, just to presume that nobody cared about these folks, that they weren't brothers and sisters and nephews and grandsons. Um, it's it's awful, man. Uh, this is this is as bad as it gets. <clears throat> and, you know, I hesitate. As a Yankee, you know, to come up here and talk all kinds of mess about what goes down in Mississippi, a place I've never been. But man, if this doesn't um, jibe with the reputation that Mississippi has 
um, amongst the country and how the powers that be operate over there. Obviously, a way less egregious crime. You think about Brett Favre and money stolen from welfare recipients, um, you know, the most disenfranchised people. Again, people need to understand Mississippi is the poorest state in the union. Right. right. And so these are some of the most disenfranchised people in the poorest state. So you can imagine the conditions of some of these folks. Um, and so to see the authorities behave this way with impunity, too, and it's not to make this a red, blue or whatever, but oftentimes the most corruption, the most unsightly things happen in governments where there is no challenge. There is no effective counterweight to anything the Republicans want to do in a state like Mississippi. So they act with impunity. And when they feel like they can just be cold and callous, there's nobody to be to hold them accountable. And so this is just a really sad and unfortunate occurrence. Yeah, well said. And obviously we're going to stay on top of this. We will update the story as it continues to develop with more information. All right, body camera uh, finally released, 11 year old, gets shot by the police. Police officer gets reappointed. Um, here's a video. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. 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 Where's he at? Where's he at? You better come on out. Come out, ma'am. Oh. Does he have any weapons? Come on out. Go. Go that way. Step out. Go. Uh -uh. Come out, sir. Don't make us come in. Look, go. You need to move. Get from behind me. Go on out there. Where's he at? Police. You got any weapons? You better put them down. shoots the child, the child did no wrong, thought the police was there to help, and he shot the child. The officer is Greg Capers. Now, I'm going to take you back to the interview that was done with Anderson Cooper, and I want you to hear this young child have to explain what happened to him. He said, said, everybody come out with your hands up. I, then I came running inside the living room. And then, then I remember I heard the big bang. Then I just remember holding my chest. As he laid in his mother's arms, bleeding out from a gunshot wound, 11-year-old Adarian Murray was so convinced he was going to die he began to pray to God and sing gospel songs. I think like, like I'm going, going to die. Tell, every, tell my whole family, tell my teacher, I say, I say I'm sorry for, for what I did. Darian's mother says he developed a collapsed lung and suffered fractured ribs and a lacerated liver due to the gunshot wound. He spent days in the ICU at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, needing a ventilator to breathe. It came it right here. More than a week since the shooting, he is remarkably in good spirits, but says sometimes when he's alone with his thoughts for too long, he has nightmares. Sometimes I can see myself laying inside the coffin. Come out my thoughts at night, my only ones. 
And sometimes you think people are watching me. But my main thought is me dead. If that officer was here, sitting right here across from you, what would you want to tell him, Darian? Why did you do it? I could have lost, lost my life all because of you. I want you terminated for what you did to me. Young man, um, he's not even a young man, he's a child. 11 years old, having to explain a near-death experience because a cop damn near killed him. And he did nothing illegal and was not the target. The cop just decided he was. Put up the picture full mask. Body cam video shows that cop, Capers, approaching the home, banging loudly on the door. A dispatcher tells Capers over the radio that the mother permitted police to kick the door in if need be, but Capers is unsuccessful in his attempts to do so. After he hears someone approaching the front door, he holds up his gun, repeatedly shouts, let me see your hands. And a woman opens the door with her hands up. Capers asks the woman, where's he at? Where's he at? Before ordering her to exit the home. He also asks her if the suspect in question has any weapons before yelling. Come out, sir. Don't make us come in. Capers then enters the home with his gun drawn, ready to fire. He continues yelling warnings into the home before the 11-year-old Adarian suddenly appears. Capers decides to shoot him. As soon as he came into view, then yelled, oh my God, and surprised and immediately called for first responders. You see the child is running out of the home to his mother after being shot in the chest. He suffered a collapsed lung, fractured ribs, lacerated liver from that shooting. He was placed on the ventilator months passed before a grand jury finally decided in December 2023 to not criminally indict Officer Capers. Following that decision, the board of aldermen voted to reinstate Capers to his post on the force, gave him his job back. The kid just said, I wanted him to be terminated from employment. That's it. They didn't even give him that. Adirin and his family attended the meeting, and as the board voted to reinstate Capers, a surge of emotions overcame the boy, and he had to be taken to a nearby hospital for treatment again. <clears throat> the Murray family filed a $5 million lawsuit almost immediately after the shooting against the city. Police Chief Ronald Ramson and a few other officers, including Capers, allegedly for using excessive force, negligence, reckless endangerment, and civil assault and battery. They also called for Capers and the police chief to be fired from their positions. The family reportedly planned to file a second lawsuit after the grand jury's decision to not charge Officer Capers. It shouldn't be this difficult. It really shouldn't be. Let's just say on the spectrum of um, gun violence, because you do realize when a cop commits it, it's still gun violence, right? On the spectrum of charges, gross negligence is still a charge, it's still a crime. 
But to say what you did was proper? No. This is because of the jurisdiction you're in. This is because of the powers that be that decided to govern this. Because in certain jurisdictions, that cop would definitely be facing a charge with the right prosecutor, the right presenter of facts. Was 11 year old kid had to be rushed to the hospital again because he's in an emotional nightmare by what this man has done to him. Yeah, you know, we're just lucky that the kid is still alive. Um, that's a strong kid, strong yeah, will that he was able to survive that and even be able to speak on, you know, the events that occurred to him. Um, this is something that this kid will not soon forget or be with him for the rest of his life. Um, that's a fact. And so that's unfortunate. Honestly, what comes to mind for me. You know, seeing this black cop and this black police chief, oftentimes we think, you know, if we just racialize some of these institutions that exist to oppress us, that we can make them better. But I don't think a black cop, a black police chief can make um, a, a police force any better than some black CEO can make, you know, Goldman Sachs less exploitative, right? Um, those institutions exist to perform certain functions. And no matter who, comes into those institutions, you will not stay there if you're not performing the function of said institution, no matter what your color is. And it takes the community to fight back against these cats because they, they literally exist to view certain people, the people that they're policing as an adversarial community. Um, these aren't citizens who they're working in concert with in order to serve because you can't walk into a, a house um, of people you consider to be your fellow, fellow citizens, people who you consider to be in service of and shoot an 11-year-old child. Um, that just can't happen. And so, yeah, the idea that this guy gets to keep his job, much less his freaking pension after shooting a freaking 11-year-old kid uh, is laughable. It's a joke. Um, that's the least that should be happening in this instance. And so I hope his family gets justice somehow, financial or otherwise, uh, but yeah, it's just horrible. Yeah, we will update as the story develops. We're looking looking forward to the uh, new filing. All right, very sad story. Texas representative split up full mass. Hell of a thing. Passes away. Okay. Representative Ada Bernice Johnson's family said. She was neglected and because of that neglect died. There's significant evidence here. Days after Texas Representative Ada Bernice Johnson passed away, her family's attorney said they now plan to pursue legal action after accusing the Baylor Scott and White Institute for Rehabilitation, that is a Dallas based healthcare facility, of medical neglect. What I'm about to share with you is going to be quite, quite hard to hear, but it is important for justice to be served. Johnson was 89 years of age. He died at her residence on December 31st. During a press conference on Thursday, attorney Les Wisebrod said Johnson's death was caused by an infection in the spine acquired at the Baylor Scott and White Institute for Rehabilitation, adding that she was left in her own feces. End quote. On September 21st, about 10 days after she underwent back surgery, Johnson called 
her son, Kirk, because she was not getting assistance from her nurses. They were ignoring her, according to the narrative. When Johnson contacted him, he was slated to meet her caseworker at the facility that afternoon. The family claims when Kirk arrived, he said Johnson was, quote, screaming out in pain and for help. He sought out the institute CEO. And when both of them returned to Johnson's room, the nurses were clearing her feces, WFAA reported. The day the situation happened, Kurt got a voicemail from a manager at the facility issuing an apology, he claims. The family believes that the infection led, that the inaction led to the infection. In addition, a lab report revealed, quote, organisms directly related to feces. That's in the official report on the surgery wound. The press released claims. She was expected to go home and be fine. And instead, she got this infection by the Baylor Institute of Rehabilitation because they did not protect her wound properly. Johnson had to get surgery again and was transported to a skilled nursing facility in mid-October. She then started to receive hospice care at her home last month. The attorney added, she was on antibiotics until she perished. Um, Stephen Newton is the chairman of the board. David Smith is the CEO. Rita Hamilton is the medical director of Baylor Scott and White Institute for Rehabilitation. The facility released a statement saying that they were working with the family on this matter. Well, you all better work quickly. Because as long as this story stays out here with no resolution and this family lost their mother, who was a very good woman. We will stay on top of this story and report updates as they come. Give this family some peace. Y'all already killed their mom. All right, watch the thoughts. It's obvious that people go to these facilities for care. Um, you would hope that they're getting the best care and attention and empathy, quite frankly, uh, that they that they deserve, obviously. And to not have that done in this situation, it's horrible. And we hear about the horror stories that black women in particular. Yes often face when they go to medical facilities and, you know, just to see that these so-called medical professionals could be so neglectful of her needs is, is, is tragic. And again, hopefully her parent, her family can get some restitution here. Yeah. Um, Wisely, always good to have your analysis, dear brother. We appreciate you so much for what you do. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Uh, I'm Big Waz on every single social media platform, TheRinger.com, Ringer NBA Show, wherever you get your podcasts, and The Woke Bros with Nando Vila. Happy New Year to the whole crew over here at TYT and Indisputable in particular. I look forward to being with you guys for this year to come. I love it every time I'm here. Peace, y'all. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. <laughs>